chapter 3. John's Gospel, chapter 3. Next four weeks, we're going to be in this great chapter. Looking at Jesus interacting tonight with a man by the name of Nicodemus. I'd like to just read the first eight verses of John chapter 3, and then we'll go back and share some thoughts. Now, a certain man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus replied, I tell you this solemn truth, unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter into his mother's womb and be born a second time, can he? Jesus answered, I tell you the solemn truth, unless a person is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must all be born from above. The wind blows wherever it will, and you hear the sound it makes, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I want to begin tonight with this statement that flows into what's happening here. And it's something I think you can easily remember. Religion is due. The gospel of Jesus Christ is done. When Jesus Christ said on the cross, it is finished. He's the one that did all the work. What our responsibility is, is to respond to what Jesus has done. To believe in His work to trust in what He's done. And that's even true after we become a Christian. If we believe that He's given unto us everything that we need for life and godliness, then it's not about us trying to accumulate something on our own. It's about resting in and believing in and trusting in and having faith in what God has already done and supplied and furnished for us. Religion is due. The Gospel is done. Jesus says, It is finished. Now, the reason why that ties in tonight is because this man, Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee, the Bible says. This means that he was one of the religious leaders of Israel. In fact, notice it goes on to say in verse 1 that he was actually a member of the Jewish ruling council. They were called the Sanhedrin. There were 72 of these men. They were over all of the other religious leaders in Israel. So in other words, they were the elite of the elite. Nicodemus would have been one of the top religious leaders in all of Israel. He would have been one of the most esteemed teachers of the Old Testament in Israel. He would have been a good person. He would have been a moral person person. He would have been a religious person. He obviously was a person of great knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures. He was obviously a person of great position. But he was lost without Jesus Christ. 
One of the reasons I believe why God wanted this encounter that Jesus had with Nicodemus in the Bible was to prove and to show to every human being that it doesn't matter whether you're good, moral, religious, have some kind of spiritual position, and possess all kinds of knowledge. Notice, that has nothing to do with getting into the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to tell us that there's only one thing necessary to get into the kingdom of God. And that is the new birth. So when you and I look at this Pharisee named Nicodemus, he stands for every moral, every good, every religious person, every person of spiritual position, every person who has great biblical knowledge and yet is lost. And it reminds us that, yes, people can have great biblical knowledge, they can have positions in churches, they can be good, moral, religious people, and yet they can be lost, they can die, and they can end up in an eternity without God. And I say that very soberingly because even though as a pastor, I think that there will be pastors. See, it doesn't matter what kind of position you have, what kind of role we play. Jesus is going to boil it all down to salvation is about one thing, a personal relationship with him. And for you here tonight, and for those who will be listening to this on podcast, the only thing that matters when you and I walk away from this passage of Scripture is, are we born again? Are we born from above? Notice in verse 2 that he came to Jesus at night. I think that's significant because John is all about contrasting darkness and light. And even though, again, Nicodemus was all of these things, he was at this moment in spiritual darkness. And even though in a minute he's going to say, we have discussed you. And I think the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders of Israel were certainly discussing this Jesus, especially after he drove all of the people out of the temple that we saw last week. I'm sure he was the number one subject. That the reason why Nicodemus came to him was not as a representative trying to find out more about Jesus for them. Because every time the Pharisees did something, they did it very publicly because they were all about the show. I think the reason why Nicodemus came to Jesus by night after they had discussed him is because here was a man who, even though he had all of this, there was still something missing in his life. And as he looked at Jesus, another teacher, even though he considered himself and was considered a great teacher in Israel. In fact, extra-biblical biblical literature even tell us that Nicodemus could have been sort of the Billy Graham of his day, if you understand where I'm coming from. Yet, as he listened to Jesus, there was still something different about this man. And I think it drove him to come to Jesus because he personally wanted to find out more about this man. 
And that's why he came. He came, though, because he wanted a private conversation and he did not want to be interrupted, which would have happened during the day. So he came to Jesus by night for a one-on-one conversation with this man who had aroused such interest and curiosity within him. And he said to him, Rabbi, honorable one. This would have been a a term that people would have called Nicodemus. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. We, We believe that. And then notice what he says, though. For no one could perform the miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. This is where we begin to see from his own lips, that he really is in darkness. And he really doesn't know as much about the... He knows the Scriptures. He knows the Scriptures. But he doesn't understand the Scriptures. He doesn't comprehend the Scriptures because that's not a true statement. That's not a true statement. Just because someone does miracles doesn't mean they're from God. Listen to this verse out of 2 Thessalonians about the Antichrist. The arrival of the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be by Satan's working with all kinds of miraculous or miracles and signs and false wonders. You see, just because someone can do miraculous things, just because they can perform signs and wonders, doesn't mean they're from God. And he's already showing that even though he understands in some degree the Old Testament, he doesn't comprehend spiritual truth. He doesn't understand it. He's in darkness. He's like Paul says, he's a natural man that cannot comprehend spiritual things yet because he doesn't have the Holy Spirit guiding him. He's doing it on his own. And he can only get so far doing it on his own. He's like many today who they have a knowledge of the Scriptures. They might even be able to tell you, you know, Bible references and where things are found, and and they can spout to you spiritual truth. But do they have spiritual wisdom? Do they have understanding? Do they have comprehension from these Scriptures? Or is it just knowledge that is piling up in their head that they can quote and and refer to? Has the Bible gripped and changed their life? Remember, the Bible is not for information, it's for transformation. God gave it to us, His Word, to change us to be more like Jesus Christ. And so he's wrong on this count. They were wrong. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel, they came to the conclusion that he had to be from God because of the miracles that he did. And notice, because of that, Jesus replied, verse 3, I tell you, Nicodemus, the solemn truth. The words in the original language means what is firm, what is faithful, what is sure. And I want to emphasize that tonight because that should be an encouragement to us. Every time Jesus opens up his mouth, he's telling us something that is firm, that is faithful, that is sure, that is true. 
something stable, something we can build our lives on. Every word of God is pure, the Bible says. And so just when the Bible says, you know, that it's recording, Jesus says, I tell you a solemn truth, or some translations, truly, truly, everything Jesus says is sure, certain, faithful, trustworthy, reliable. You can count on it because it is the word of God, you see. And here's what he says. I'm telling you, one of the religious leaders of Israel. Now, let me just... You and I cannot fully appreciate how shocked Nicodemus would have been to hear this. Okay? Because Nicodemus was, first of all, he was a Jew. He was an ancestor of Abraham. And to them, they just thought, I'm in the kingdom just because I'm a Jew. And then to be a Pharisee, and then to be a member of the Sanhedrin on top of it, man, I'm in. So when Jesus looks at him, and says, I tell you the solemn truth, unless a person is born from above, the Greek can also be translated born again. Either way, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Look at it this way, using football. Nicodemus would have thought, I have a ticket on the 50-yard line. And Jesus is basically telling him, you can't even see the stadium from where you're at, much less have a ticket on the 50-yard line. That, you see. And the word unless means there's no other choice. Now again, not politically correct today, not, not popular today, but it's what the Bible teaches and it's what Jesus teaches there is no other way of salvation other than faith in Jesus Christ. Other than supernatural spiritual birth that Jesus is talking about here. He says, unless a person is born from above, remade by the power of God, born spiritually, born supernaturally, then that person can't even see the kingdom of God. They can't perceive it. They can't comprehend it. They can't understand it. And the reason why Jesus uses the kingdom of God rather than eternal life with Nicodemus is again because he's dealing with somebody in his audience that he knows he's a Jew and the Jews are all about the kingdom of God and all about God when he comes, even as the Messiah, he's going to come and he's going to set up his kingdom. But here's where they made the mistake. Yes, he's going to set up his kingdom, but the Jews thought he's going to set up his kingdom so that then we, the Jews, can be prominent. And everything, everybody else can be put down in their place. And the reason why Jesus came and why Jesus will come and why Jesus is going to set up his kingdom is not so the Jews can be prominent, but so he can be prominent. He is preeminent. He is above all things and all people. And that's part of why the Jews missed the boat. Jesus says they are incapable of even perceiving the kingdom of God. 
So again, now in verse 4, Nicodemus shows the darkness that he's in, that he does not understand the spiritual nature and the spiritual truth and where Jesus is coming from when he even says to the religious leader of Israel, you must be born from above. You must be born supernaturally. You must be born from God. It's not a matter of just being born into uh, the proper family or the proper nationality or whatever. You've got to have a second birth, if you will, a second birthday. And Nicodemus obviously couldn't grasp that. He couldn't wrap his mind around it, which is why he asked the question in verse four, how can a person be born when they're old? How can they be born a second time? He's only thinking about the physical. He's only thinking about the natural. Here's a religious leader in Israel who has no concept of the spiritual world and the supernatural power of God. All he's looking at is physical, natural things, and that's how he approaches everything. Which is why he goes on to say, can somebody climb back into their mother's womb and be born a second time? Well, obviously no. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. So again, in verse 5, Jesus says, I tell you the solemn truth, unless, no other choice, a person is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless one is remade by the power of God, no human being can enter the kingdom of God. Folks, I didn't say this. This isn't something our church This is what Jesus Christ himself said. So if you have an argument, take it up with Jesus. He's the one who is saying, unless one is born spiritually, is born supernaturally, is born of the Spirit and of water. I do want to say this. Many people have conjectured what they believe the water is symbolic of. I personally think it is symbolic of the Word of God. And I think what Jesus here is teaching is that one, in order to be born again, born supernaturally, has to be born through two elements coming together. The working of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in concert. And to make that point, keep your finger there in John 3, and let's just go to a couple verses that I think will help illustrate this. Go over just a few chapters to John's Gospel, chapter 6, to verse 63. John, chapter 6, verse 63, where Jesus says, The Spirit is the one who gives life. Human nature is of no help. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. So in this one verse, Jesus talks about the words that he speaks and the spirit of God. Then if you'll go over to 1 Peter for just a moment, to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, I think that Peter also uh, very eloquently talks about the word of God too in this manner. First Peter 
chapter 1, verse 23, Peter writes, You have been born anew, born again, born from above, not from perishable, but from imperishable seed, through the living and enduring Word of God. When Jesus says, unless one is born of water, the Word of God, and the Spirit, one cannot enter into the kingdom of God. When a person is born again, when you and I became Christians and were born supernaturally, born from above, it was through the working of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God together in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds. That's what brought it about. And that's, I think, what Jesus is saying here. In fact, at the end tonight, we're going to go back, if we have just a moment, and look at an Old Testament passage to share with you folks that this concept of the Spirit of God and the Word of God working together in a powerful way is not just a New Testament concept. It's been around ever since God started working in people's hearts and minds and lives. So back to John chapter 3. Jesus says in verse 6, what is born of the flesh is flesh. If, if, if it's born physically, then it's just physical. If it's born of human nature, it's just human nature. There's nothing more that a human being can add to that. There's no spiritualness to a human birth, if you will. The only way a person can be born, he says, spiritually, is of the Spirit. Which is why he says, what is born of the flesh is flesh. It is prone to sin. It is opposed to God. But what is born supernaturally of the Spirit is spirit. There's the divine nature there. There's divine influence there. And then in verse 7, I think that's why Jesus says at this point, Do not be amazed, Nicodemus, that I say to you, you must all be born from above. Because by this point, my own opinion, I think Nicodemus probably looked like this. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Remember... This is a man who thinks he's got a 50-yard line seat in the kingdom of heaven. I'm in. I'm a Jew. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a good person. I'm moral. I'm religious. I have an understanding, at least intellectually, of the Old Testament. I teach the Old Testament to people. I got a position in Israel that's prominent. I'm part of the Sanhedrin. And you, you're telling me that I've got to be born supernaturally by God in order to enter the kingdom of It rocked his world. Which can I just tell you, Jesus isn't afraid to rock people's worlds. Because if it's between being lost in eternity without him... Or getting our world rocked so that we maybe come to our spiritual senses and begin to understand how lost we are without Jesus, then Jesus will rock our world every day. Because He loves us that much. 
And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But see, before someone can come to really go, okay, Jesus, I believe that, they've got to first realize there's a deficiency within them, that there's a need, that there's a lacking. See, if someone believes, I'm a good person, and God's going to let me into his heaven because I've been good enough, or somehow when I die, he's going to weigh my good works and my bad works, and my good works are going to outweigh my bad works, therefore he's going to let me in, then they see no need of Jesus. It's only when we realize that our righteousness according to the Word of God is like filthy rags in God's sight. That we are talking about a holy God and that there's no amount of good works or morality or whatever that we bring to God in order to somehow achieve our own salvation and standing in the kingdom. Again, it is all by trusting and resting and believing in what God has done because we can bring nothing to God in order to earn or gain our own salvation and standing. That's why Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, For theirs is the kingdom of God. It simply means those who recognize that they have nothing with which to offer God to somehow merit or earn their standing. And the reason, folks, why this has been a challenge for human beings ever since the beginning of time is because part of man's sinful nature is this ugly, ugly pride And pride is all about, I'm going to somehow achieve this for myself so that I can take pride in what I have done rather than humbling myself before God and saying, God, I can do nothing. It's by grace I am saved through faith. Not of myself. Not of works. Lest anyone should boast. And so no wonder Jesus says, do not be amazed, Nicodemus. His eyeballs were probably this big. Because obviously, Nicodemus, this good, moral, religious, spiritual leader in Israel, who had power and position and knowledge, was lost. Was lost. Now, here's the flip side of that. Here's why the gospel is good news. Because when God does offer us His salvation, we don't have to worry about, was I born into the right family? Was I born into the right nation or nationality? Do I have the right pedigree? Do I have the right background? Do I have enough to offer? Do I have the right power and position? You see, with God at the foot of the cross, it's all level. We're all equal. That's why God says, Whosoever will may come, and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank you, God, that... We don't have to be a certain kind of person in order to be loved 
and saved by you. We just have to humble ourselves enough to know our need and to call upon you for salvation. So Jesus says, do not be amazed that I say to you, you must all be born from above. And I think why Jesus used the word all there is he wants to also throw this over the bow to go back to those religious leaders and tell them, yeah, they need to be born too spiritually because Nicodemus remember he says up in verse 2 he came to Jesus at night and said to him rabbi we know we know we've been discussing it so Jesus knows he's been the topic of discussion obviously and he knows that because he's God so Jesus wants to send this message back through Nicodemus to the other religious leaders and say to them You all know that you must be born from above too, right? Just because you're a Pharisee, just because you're a Jew, just because you're an ancestor of Abraham, just because you're a religious leader in Israel, you must be born from above too. You must all, must, of necessity, be born from above. I want to stop here for a second. I just want to ask, between you and God, have you been born from above? Folks, that at the end of our lives, at the, when we go into eternity, when the new heaven and new earth and this is all destroyed, the only thing that's going to matter is, have we been born from above? And, and here's, here's something that's very sobering for me. Every Sunday, every Tuesday, every time I interact with even people who profess to be Christians, is that I understand from the Word of God that, again, just because someone's good, just because they come to church, just because they're moral, just because they're religious, just because they hold a position in the local church, just because they have knowledge of the Bible and all this, that doesn't mean any of us are saved. The only way a person gets into the kingdom of God is by being born again by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. That's it. That's the only way. There is no other way. And that's why I think Jesus said, there will be many, many on the day of judgment who will say, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name? Did we not do many wonderful works? Did we not do miracles? And Jesus is going to look at them and say, depart from me, I never knew you. Now as God, he knows all things, but he means, I never had a personal relationship or connection with you. You and I never were on the same page because you were never born again. Can I tell you? Confession especially on Sunday. I walk away every Sunday out of the oasis and go, I wonder how many of those people really, really know the Lord. I do. Sorry, I just do. And the reason I think I do that is because I love 
all of you, and I, I would never want any of you that I know to somehow think you're saved or be deceived or think you're a good enough person or whatever when that's not what matters. It's whether we've been born again. See, every person that enters the kingdom of God needs two birthdays. Our physical birthday and our spiritual birthday. Where we were born again. And notice what Jesus says in verse 8. He compares being born supernaturally or born spiritually to the wind. He says the wind blows wherever it will. And you hear the sound it makes, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. He's saying a couple things there. First of all, he's saying you and I can't control the wind. We can't. We have no control over the wind at all. And we have no control over the Spirit of God. When the, the Spirit of God is God, He is sovereign. He will work and He will move as it pleases Him, as He chooses. And here's why I say that, and here's why Jesus says that. Because there have been many human beings that I've encountered who somehow feel like they're going to be in control of when they get saved and of the timing of their salvation. Oh, I'll, I'll get around to it and, and, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do it at some other time. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And the Bible teaches us if the Holy Spirit is working on you and convicting you and bringing you to a point where you are about ready to say yes to Jesus and you push Him away and say no, don't expect the Holy Spirit to just all of a sudden willy-nilly bring you back to that point. He's sovereign. And you just can't like teach... Uh, treat the Holy Spirit like a light switch and go, well, when, when I want to get saved, I'll just turn that light switch on and He'll be right there and it'll all come together. It may not. You may be deceived by that point. See, when the Holy Spirit's working, you and I need to respond because we don't control Him. He's in control. He's God. He's sovereign. He works the way He works. And we have no control over that. So when He's working, let's make sure we respond. And the second thing Jesus is teaching here is that though we cannot control the wind or control the Holy Spirit, we can certainly see the effects of it. We can see the effects of the wind. We can see the effects of the Spirit of God. We might not be able to understand it all. We might not be able to explain it all. But we can certainly see the effects of it. When the Spirit of God is in a person's life, when the Spirit of God has taken over, when the Spirit of God is in control in a person's life, you and I know it. And we know it even in our life. When the Spirit of God is in control or when we're on the throne and we're in control. We know it. You can see the effects of it. And so the challenge, I think, from Jesus here tonight to all of us is, are we born again? And second, if we are born again, are we seeing the effects of the Spirit in our life? 
Because where the Spirit is moving, where He is in control, where He's leading, where He's guiding, where He's working, you will be able to see the difference that the Holy Spirit makes. You won't always be able to explain it. You won't always be able to understand it. But the effects will be evident. For the last couple minutes together, turn back to the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 37. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones. Sorry, you didn't want me to be singing tonight. Ezekiel 37. The reason I want to go here is because in this passage, I'm going to say this right up front. I am not teaching that this passage is talking about individual salvation in any way, because it's not. That would be wrenching this passage out of its meaning, proper meaning and context. This passage is all about the national resurrection and restoration of the nation of Israel. And we're going to see that tonight. Okay? But the principle is this, that is the same. And that is, in this passage of Scripture, God, through the prophet Ezekiel, is teaching about the power of the Spirit and the power of His Word to be able to nationally resurrect a nation that was dead and bring them back from the dead and plant them in the Middle East and give them a home. Only God's Spirit and God's Word could do that. So listen to what Ezekiel... or. The Lord says through the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and placed me in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. He made me walk all around among them. I realized that there were a great many bones in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said to him, Sovereign Lord, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy, speak the word of God over these bones and tell them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. You've already seen the spirit of the Lord and the word of the Lord in the first four verses. This is what the sovereign Lord, verse five, says to these bones. Look, I am about to infuse breath into you and you will live. I will put tendons on you and muscles over you and will cover you with skin. I will put breath in you. By the way, the word breath in the Hebrew can also mean spirit or wind. Ruach. And you will live. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. There was a sound when I prophesied. I heard a rattling and the bones came together bone to bone. As I washed, I saw tendons on them. Then muscles appeared and skin covered over them from above. But there was no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy, speak the word of God to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these corpses so that they may live. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And the breath came into them. They lived and stood on their feet, an extremely great army. Now again, like many times in the Bible, somebody reads that and goes, what is he talking about? If you just read a little bit further, a lot of times, like in the book of Revelation, he tells you what he's talking about. Keep reading. So in verse 11, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are all the house of Israel. Look. 
They are saying, our bones are dry. Our hope has perished. We are cut off. The nation of Israel had been dispersed into every nation of the world. Jews scattered all over the world. They did not have a homeland. They did not have a land of their own. They were in graves. They were buried amongst the Gentiles for hundreds of years. Therefore prophesy and tell them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, verse 12, look, I'm about to open your graves. I'm about to take you out from the Gentiles and raise you from your graves, my people. I will bring you to the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, my people. I will place my breath, my spirit, my wind in you, and you will live. I will give you rest in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, I will act, declares the Lord. A couple things and we'll close. This passage from the Old Testament clearly again teaches how the Spirit of God works with the Word of God to bring life. Now again, this passage in its context and meaning has nothing to do with individual salvation. It has to do with national resurrection and restoration of the nation of Israel. But the principle is this, that the Spirit of God and the Word of God brings life. It brings life. Whether you're talking about national life, whether you're talking about individual life, the Word of God and the Spirit of God brings life. And when a people is willing to open up themselves to the Spirit of God and the Word of God, they will live and experience life from God. Can I tell you, that's why I love our church, because I feel like you can just sense the life that God is infusing in His people here. And why? Because you all are being open to the Spirit of God, and you are sitting under the Word of God. And when God's people are willing to expose themselves to the Spirit and to the Word, they will live. Secondly, this passage is also reminding us about the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And that should encourage us. If God could resurrect a dead people from all over the world, every nation buried amongst Gentiles, and plant them in their own land and give them a homeland. Folks, I'm telling you, what happened in the mid-1940s in the Middle East is, should always be a reminder to us about what God can do. And if God can resurrect a nation of people and give them a land right where He did and protect them all these years from those around them, then God can change lives. God can change my life. He can change your life. He can change other people's lives. His Word and His Spirit has power. And say, it should give us hope. Remember, they said, we have no hope. We're dead. And God said, if you just open up yourself to my spirit and my word, you will have hope. The spirit of God and the word of God always bring hope. Hope and power. Because they bring life. This is what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, 
You've tried to achieve heaven by being a good person, by being moral, by being a religious leader, by holding positions of power and prestige. But none of that matters to God. All that matters to God is if we humble ourselves before him, cry out to him and say, Jesus, I need you as my savior. I'm lost without you. And the only way I can ever see and enter the kingdom of God is for you to do a work in me that I can never do on my own. It's got to be by your power, by your word, and by your spirit, not by anything in me. And when that happens in a person's life, look out. When that happens in a Christian's life, look out. When a Christian begins to just Surrender to the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Look out, there is real life going to be experienced. Real power, real hope is going to burst forth. No matter how dry those bones are, no matter how dead the situation may be, when a person, when a family, when, when a spouse, when, when friends, when churches, when any situation, when any group of people open themselves up to the Word of God and the Spirit of God, there will be life, there will be power, there will be hope. Let's pray. God, we thank You for the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. And God, we pray tonight that every person who hears the sound of this message at some point has truly been born from above because you have taught us clearly that it's not about being good, not moral, not religious. It's about being born again by your word and by your spirit. God, I pray that every person who hears this would make sure that there was a time in their life where they turned their life over to God. God, I pray that if we are your children, that we would desire to see the effects of the Spirit. And that, Lord, we would allow Your Spirit and Your Word to begin to work in such a way that it would make such a difference in our lives. That there would be a hope and a power and a life that, Lord, we might not be able to understand it, we might not even be able to explain it to somebody, but we see the effects of You working in our lives. God, go with us this week. Make us, Lord, the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, real quick, before you go, one more shot. This coming Sunday, we start this new series in Elijah. These cards are over there. Please take one to pray over this series. And please take one to invite somebody with you. I think it's going to be a great series God's going to use in our lives. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next week.